KFTO time is 11 10. 75 degrees. Derek Hansen with you. This is Couch Potato Radio here on the Mighty 790 KFTO. Joe Morgan walking in from the newsroom, co hosting with me. And it's a pleasure to bring with us again Dr. Jeff Baumgartner from North Dakota State University's Criminal Justice Political Science Department. Good Sunday morning to you, my friend. Yeah, good morning to you. Uh, so, are you uh, being a, you got your, uh, one of your doctorates, I do believe, from the University of Minnesota? No Big Ten football. No NDSU right. football. I mean, this is uh, going to be a little strange, huh? It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough for a college sports fan for sure. This is you know this is the best time of the year. You know, the fall is is just wonderful. And uh, um, yeah, I was I was really disappointed when NDSU you know made the decision that that they weren't going to try to find some out of conference games in the fall. But I, I get it. Yeah. Are you surprised that? These, I mean, because now that we got the SEC, ACC, the AAC, and Big 12 trying to plow forward here, it just kind of shows you how strange this sport is, right? The fact that the NCAA doesn't really have a lot of control over college football. They they take care of eligibility and a f- few other things, but outside of that, every, it's kind of rogue. It's and, and we've known this with the playoff situation we've talked about for decades, and it's really coming to the forefront again. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That, it, it, it's been interesting to watch just how neutered the NCAA is, and uh, um, and even just how um, ununified at times the the Power Five conferences are. So I mean, it's it's a free for all out there right now. But it it, it certainly kind of sets things up, I think, for for a you know kind of a realignment or reconfiguration uh, on the other side of all of this. I could see. I mean, I can see a lot of TV deals getting blown up because of this year, and uh, and there just might be a giant uh, reset button hit at some point, and uh, be interesting to see how, how all the fallout, you know, you know what it all looks like on the other side. I don't know, Doctor Baumgartner, if you've met uh, Joel Morgan. It's say so you guys can say hi to each other. I don't know if you have you guys ever conversed or no, we okay, haven't. No. no, he kind of got in the fold here before the you know the lockdown COVID winter thing, so we don't have as many guests. We always usually like to have Doctor Baumgartner in studio, but uh, this kind of interesting time. You know, it's it's uh, you mentioned that too, as far as what we're looking at with how things may get changed and how this may change the NCAA, and and it's kind of interesting. I think the Big Ten. They're so used to saying, "All right, well, if we if we move things to the spring, everyone else will follow." We've been the big boy in the block, and I think the SEC and the ACC looked at each other and said, "Hmm, we could lick our chops here. We can be the only game in town, and we're, we're going to get the." Right. I mean, do, do, don't you get the sense that's what's going on there too? Well, I do. I think I think there is some opportunity there for some of the other conferences to to let the big Big Ten know that uh, that college football is more than Ohio State and Michigan. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, of course, know that, but uh, they're making sure everyone knows that. I, I think if uh, if somehow the SEC uh, is able to pull off a season, I mean that uh, you know that Alabama Georgia game is gonna is, is probably gonna you know it's probably gonna have national championship level viewers uh, viewership. So right. uh, um, I mean it's it, yeah, there's some opportunities there, but of course. You know what was the what was the news report? Nine Oklahoma players uh, test positive. I mean, it just yeah. We'll just see if it if it actually happens. So we were talking about Nebraska basically saying we're we're going to go against what the Big Ten wants and uh, we're going to try to look for games. And and I think there's a lot of internet reaction that um, I, I kind of chuckled as that that 
Uh, people said that the Big Ten doesn't need Nebraska and that there's they're basically just on the schedule just for teams to get wins in the Big Ten West. Uh, <laughs> do you think that Nebraska probably has a little bit more weight than than people want to give it credit to because of their national reach and and, and TV? I I do. I think I think Nebraska is a national brand, uh, and uh, it uh, um, you know it has a storied history. Yeah, it's been couple decades since their last national championship but but uh you know most years they're still talked about they're still relevant they're still uh somewhat competitive in the big 10 i think a lot of people wonder if if leaving you know the big 12 or the big eight at the time if it was the big eight i think um you know if that was a good move uh you know because they sort of you know they've fallen under the shadow of some of the other more successful teams in the big 10 but uh but no, I think Nebraska, you know, filling in their eighty or ninety thousand people every year or every uh, game uh, at their stadium and and uh, you know fairly large uh, athletic budget. Um, no, I think they are a powerhouse. I don't. I, I think the Big Ten shouldn't be so eager to lose them. Um, and if I were the Big Twelve, I'd certainly try to figure out ways to get them back. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I compared that to. I don't know if you heard this earlier. I said it'd be like the. I know a few couples who got divorced and they got remarried, right? And that would be kind of the case yeah. of the Big 12 in Nebraska if that actually did happen. It's interesting yeah. to say that because, you know, Dr. Joseph Chapman, way back when, when they made this move, he talked about, you know, the, the athletics sometimes can be the front porch of your university. I think you would know that being an instructor at NDSU. Certainly right. the, the football team has brought national attention to North Dakota State. I think it did even after the University of Minnesota. It's two games, actually. And I think you saw a lot more kids from the Twin Cities heading up here because of it. I think I can look at just the enrollment numbers. I think you can pinpoint it to 2009. And the point I'm getting at, uh, or 2006, 2007, I should say. And, and the reason I, I say that is because it's weird how colleges with or universities with state names. I, I mean, Duke, Notre Dame, that's a little different, right? But when you, when you look at Nebraska, I guess Carol, North Carolina basketball, you know, it's weird how some of those programs can almost transcend geography and state borders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Nebraska football is something. Uh, it's it's uh, now some people would argue it's, it's you know that reputation has been whittled away over the last several years, but uh, um, but I still think it's a. a you know, having grown up with it, I guess maybe it's a brand uh, name. Yeah, maybe for yeah, our our, our generation, the Boomer generation, uh, and yeah, uh, and below with the Gen Xers, probably yes, for sure. Yeah, probably so. So they, it, you know, if they want to keep that going, maybe they do need to turn things around a little bit. Uh, I think they would be more competitive in the Big Twelve, but uh, um, and have a have an opportunity to be, you know, sort of still in it late in the season. Um, uh, but. Uh, um, but in any case, I think I think I, you know as a Big Ten fan, I'm 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 uh, I'm happy to have Nebraska in there. I, I wish we'd think about kicking out Maryland and Rutgers. But uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that that what you sacrifice for TV markets, I guess, is what what it comes down to to get Baltimore and DC and New York is what you're you're doing there. You got to get the red shirts in at some time. Yeah, yeah right, exactly yeah, because. Because all of New York is tuned into Rutgers, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> a, well, but you know, all it is though, to be quite frank, this is so strange. But 
And I think this is getting a little bit outdated even when they start the Big Ten Network. It's all about per subscriber rates, right? That's where they make their money on more than anything. So if you can work your way into the Comcast or whatever in New York and that's all you need and then you say that you got that many more million eyes on TV sets and you pick up a dollar or so per cable company, it's it's just amazing how that changes everything. And they don't care if Rutgers wins a game all year. Uh, Dr. Jeff Baumgartner with us here from the Political Science Criminal Justice Department at North Dakota State University. In relation to this, I I mean, it is strange. It can't be a coincidence, would you think, with the governors and also just kind of the, uh, the electorate in each one of these states. You look at the Big Ten, the the Pac-12 or whatever, they aren't going to play football. And then you know, we, we see where most of the schools are in the ACC, Big 12, and the SEC. It, it's ironic how these decisions are kind of following the, the electoral map almost, isn't it? Yeah, it is interesting. You're absolutely right. I think I think it does go to, a, a, you know, sort of uh, it kind of ties back to the, you know, to the official state posture, uh, on the virus, I suppose, and, and sort of how to, how to respond to it. And, and yeah, you are seeing, um, these universities somewhat reflect, you know, kind of the, uh, the broader state government view, uh, in those, in those respective areas, um, you know, in terms of the, the, either the seriousness of the virus or at least the response to it and, and what could and, and shouldn't be done about it. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think it is interesting how it does line up that way. Yeah. It, I find it very, and it's, you know, I will say this too, as someone who's been critical of the national media and how they've covered, covered a lot of this, I do find it fascinating. You know, California has had problems going all the way back to the start of this, right. Going back to March and, you know, they don't really talk about, I guess, because of the leadership that is trying to be done there with different types of lockdowns and mask requirements compared to the other Southern states. It's kind of interesting how the focus seems to be on Texas, Florida, and Georgia much more than it does on some of these other problematic areas. Right. Right. Um, yeah, you're exactly right. I think, I think that, you know, that you can, you can, you know, you can sort of dissect a little bit of where some of the national media are coming from, you know, by by the way that is covered. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Speaking of California, it was announced this past week that uh, Vice President Biden is going to pick to be his vice presidential uh, candidate to run with him on the ticket, Kamala Harris. I, I, we've had a lot of debates, I think, behind the scenes. Joel and I have talked about it a lot. I think after – I actually thought that Amy Klobuchar was maybe the front runner, but with everything with George Floyd, I think that went away in a hurry. It, those two timelines can't be a coincidence. And I don't know if she put you know it under the pressure whatever to have a woman of color, but uh, that is the situation here. I mean, California is already locked up for the Democrats. We know that already. We knew that four years ago. But uh, how, right. how do you think this helps? How do you think this hurts? What's your analysis of this? I think it is a do no harm pick, and I think in that sense, it was probably a pretty good pick for Joe Biden. Um, uh, I think, in and I've read a lot of commentary that would disagree with this. I think um, actually Susan Rice might have even been a better pick uh, because she has no voting record, um, and and that would have been sort of easier to. Uh, to frame her, um, you know, on a, on a number of policy uh, issues, uh, the way they'd like to frame her, they could they could truly cast her as a moderate or as a pragmatist or whatever. Um, uh, Kamala Harris uh, does have a voting record, and it's quite liberal. I think she's, you know, she's been identified as the second most liberal senator, uh, um, and so you know, 
the, the attempt to sort of cast her as something of a of a bridge uh, to uh, to more moderates uh, and independents is is going to be a little bit of a stretch. But you know, a lot of people don't don't know her. She didn't get very far in her own uh, campaign, uh, and so uh, a lot of America doesn't really know much about her. And uh, I think it's a generally, you know, generally probably a pretty, a pretty good pick for uh, for uh, Biden. I think, uh, you know, um, you know, been a lot of talk about how to say uh, Kamala's name. I remember uh, Kamala sounds like Obamala, uh, and uh, <laughs> I think, and, and I think that's uh, that's kind of what you want. They want you to think about when they when you when you think of uh, Kamala Harris. They want you to think that this is another uh, Barack Obama, a young junior sure. senator, African American, um, who has. Uh, a promising political career. And so this is basically just a flip ticket and it will soon enough be her turn. Uh, and uh, um, I think that's, you know, that's going to be what maybe they try to drive at. Do you think that uh, Susan Rice maybe wasn't considered over Harris because I just don't think the Democrats, they don't want to hear the term Benghazi ever again. And I think that right. that old uh, skeleton would come out. Do you agree with that or? I think it would come out, but, you know, they could say this has been, you know, asked and answered, it's been adjudicated. Um, and Republicans spent most of their effort hanging Benghazi on Clinton. And so... Well, Obama, uh, then Clinton. <laughs> so, I mean, to be quite right, frank, right. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Susan Rice was, was dinged for, for, you know, being kind of a mouthpiece of misinformation. Um, but, uh, but but wasn't necessarily uh, ever sort of labeled as the person calling the shots or failing to call the shots uh, in that whole Benghazi episode that was always hung on Clinton and, you know, like you said, Obama. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think some of that could stick to her, but um, but uh, um, she's got she had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bona fides in, in terms of foreign policy, uh, had a lot of experience, not always foreign policies I would agree with, but but as someone for from from the you know political right but um but uh a lot of people on the political right actually you know would agree with her i mean kind of a classic neocon foreign policy uh positions and and um so yeah i could have totally seen her um drawing in some people that have been quite comfortable with her uh from the middle and uh, in terms of domestic policy she's a blank slate so you could you could have her be whatever you needed her to be um uh and again, Kamala or Kamala Harris has, uh, uh, you know, has a little bit of a record that, it, and and has come out publicly for positions, whether it's the Green New Deal or, um, you know, whether it's Meta, you know, Medicare, Medicaid for all. Uh, she's she's come out for those positions, and so um, it's going to be difficult to recast her if they need to if they need to to pivot to the to the center. Yeah, but I think I think what they want though is the energy for people to go to the polls though too, right? I mean, was, I I'll never forget seeing, you know, after the fact in 2016, how many people like in North Carolina because I think we kind of take it for granted how easy it is to vote around here, but they said mm -hmm. they didn't want to stand in line for Hillary that long, and that came out quite a bit. I remember seeing a feature on that in North Carolina. And sure. you know, so I mean that that could be I think a factor is they want people if they're able to do it. Who are you going to stand in line for four to eight hours for? And <laughs> that because that is a real thing, and I think maybe Harris had that over someone like Rice or or whatever. It's just going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Yep, yep. She did draw some big crowds early in her campaign, and and uh, I think a lot of people are excited about the prospect of a 
African-American uh, female vice president who, uh, is, you know, if you look at surveys, most Americans don't think Joe Biden's going to finish his first term. So uh, they're really kind of voting for two presidents wow. uh, here. And, uh, uh, you know, people have always been sort of drawn to the chance to make history. And uh, and that's, you know, that's something they definitely have going for couple more questions here for Dr. Jeff Baumgartner from the Political Science uh, Criminal Justice Department at North Dakota State University. Do you think that uh, Kamala Harris's past with, you know, Willie Brown and the whole Sega there, the affair, is going to come back to haunt her? Because I'll, I'll get your analysis. My analysis is I think they looked at it, they vetted it, and I think they thought, well, if they go down that road, we're going to call everyone for the hypocrites, you know, with the Trump's past and all that. I mean, is that a potential play there? What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, there might be some segment of Republican voters that would find that story interesting. But, uh, yeah, as, as offset against, uh, uh, you know, President Trump and his known history, um, I think that's a loser uh, for Republicans. And, and I bet you're right. I bet they've already, you know, they've already sort of uh, thought that one through. And, and there's not going to be many, uh, you know, campaign uh, commercials or, or uh, you know, Ads, uh, even pack ads that are gonna that are gonna try to to, to make that connection. Um, and if anything, that that you know that looks worse for Willie Brown than for for uh, a younger uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, but uh, um, but yeah, I uh, I think they're not. I don't think we're gonna hear much about that at all this year. Yeah. Uh, final thing for you the. The whole post office thing. I mean, this is, uh, I, I, as long as I've been living, we, and we've talked about mail-in voting, I think to a lot of people's surprise, Dr. Fauci said there's no reason we should be able, should not be able to uh, vote in person and, and this past week. Obviously, people have run, run with that on social media who are Trump fans. This is mm-hmm. uh, this is a battle of all battles right now. It's, it's unreal. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly, uh, if, if if we are going to rely significantly on mail-in ballots this year, um, then yeah, the post office is going to need some more resources. They could barely do what you know what they do with the resources they have, much less add uh, work. And so um, it kind of strikes me as you know probably similar to the to the run-up for Christmas uh, season and things like <laughs> yeah. that. They're going to have to they're going to have to you know have more staff and more sorters and uh, more people on the road delivering. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, the, the stalemate of how to fund it and, 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 you know, Trump is, seems to be on both sides of that issue. Uh, um, and, and Democrats, uh, don't want to fund it in isolation from other things on their wish list. So, um, you know, as of right now, the post office is, is looking at a, uh, pretty much impossible task of, of, uh, of the avalanche of mail-in uh, ballots that are going to come in. States have wide latitude on how they want to do uh, their elections, how they want to run their elections. And obviously, you know, most of the blue states are going to push heavily for um, for mail-in ballots and encourage people to vote by mail. And they encourage people to vote early. And, um, and so, yeah, I think the post office is going to be deluged. And even with extra funding, it's going to be a, a Herculean task, I'm sure. I want to ask you uh, to kind of wrap things up here. You and I talked off the air a little bit about the uh, body cam footage from a couple of the other officers with the George Floyd incident going back to, it's hard to believe, end of May we're talking about this, but that's how long it's been. And, yeah. I, and I want to get your thoughts on this because I, I, when I, I guess I don't know if it's my communications degree or whatever. Whenever I hear something, my, something kind of triggers my eardrums every once in a while. And 
Uh, Keith Ellison, the attorney general for Minnesota, he was saying some stuff, and this is right in the middle of night after night, what we're dealing with in the Twin Cities, right? And National Guard getting involved. <laughs> and I want to say it was like the Saturday after the incident. And, I mean, that, so, and Keith Ellison was on MSNBC, and he said, listen, I want to tell you, this is not going to be a slam dunk as people th- think. And people may listen to me and think that I'm taking a side on this. I'm not. I really, and I thought to myself, you know, he's seen body cam footage or whatever, and I I do think he was right in this. And seeing the body cam footage, now I do think that Derek Chauvin's probably going to get, you know, something. What exactly that is, I don't know. But I think to uh, Attorney General Ellison's point, for the other three officers, it may be harder to convict watching that body cam footage than what other most people think. I'd love to get your analysis on that. I totally agree. I uh, and I've always thought that that charging of the three officers was was an overcharge myself. Uh, I thought you could maybe argue charging Chauvin with something, um, and you know probably more along the lines of, of uh, third degree murder or manslaughter. Um, and uh, um, and part of it was. Part of my assessment of that was reading the the BCA's complaint, which which articulated exactly what we see on the body camera, which is that there was resistance, that this was an, a, a prolonged encounter, uh, which that which uh, had uh, uh, George Floyd saying, "I can't breathe" throughout the encounter, inc- including when he was standing up, and and so it'd be very easy for officers to be sort of dismissive of, of that. Uh, you know, and my handcuffs are too tight. I mean, they hear that all the time, right? And so. Um, I, now I, again, I think, you know, when, when somebody says they can't breathe, we're trained, uh, to, uh, police officers are trained to take that seriously and, and to reposition people and get medical care if you need to, even if it's, if, if, if you think it's BS, but, um, but when you see that, that, that prolonged encounter and you realize that this was sort of fluid and organic and off, it, it appears that officers are trying to make decisions as they go, uh, uh, they're trying to, calm them down. They're trying to give them, eventually trying to get a medical care. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it is a hard case. It's a hard sell, particularly for the three officers. Uh, and, uh, uh, um, you know, once again, I, I think it might be a case where, where politics, uh, determine, uh, the, uh, the charging decisions. Um, it would have been a lot cleaner for, uh, for prosecutors to focus on Chauvin and and to uh, and and to put the charge, you know, sort of something that they could, you know, fairly easily uh, prove, and and uh, maybe they'll still get their second degree. I don't know, but uh, um, but I think the case against the other three officers is really in jeopardy. Well, I think the fact that a couple of the officers, the one in particular, wanted to move him, and the you know the senior officer said no, and yeah. I, th- I think that's going to be one of the toughest things, and I, I don't doubt that the. You know, the other defending attorneys are going to throw Chauvin under the bus, I think. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, they will, and they should. I mean, that's, that's what they need to do for their clients. Um, the uh, And then Chauvin's going to have to sort of explain his decision-making all along the way. But, uh, yeah, it is, it, is, it is completely unreasonable to expect a, a brand-new officer uh, who you know thinks well, isn't this a, a thing you know and and some and then a more senior officer your training officer saying no we're doing it this way precisely because of right. that oh okay well maybe I just don't understand you know I mean it's it's uh, the idea that uh, you know the the officer two days on the job is gonna say I'm relieving you of your command you're under arrest Derek Chauvin and, and 
this is absurd. And people that say this should happen like that, uh, they're absurd. Uh, you gotta, you gotta understand that police officers are people <laughs> and, and no one in any of their work context would behave, uh, very much differently than these officers did in their work context in terms of, uh, you know, the degree to which you stand up to a more senior person who has supervisory authority over you. And when you're a little unsure of what you're doing, that's why you're in training, uh, because you don't know everything. You don't know hardly anything. And so you're there to learn from more senior people. So the idea that, uh, other than expressing this and saying, All right, you know, okay, why aren't we doing this or whatever, uh, that, that strikes me as that officer's due diligence right there. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I, I wouldn't be, you know, I think uh, Ellison's very interesting trying to get all four of them in the same hearing. I don't know if that's going to work out, but this is going to be yeah. inter- an interesting watch, and I certainly will be in touch with you during that whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to be very curious. Yeah, absolutely. Very, well, th- thanks so much for your time this Sunday morning. We'll talk to you again very soon. I'll talk to you, uh, hopefully, and we'll get together here eventually. Sounds good, Derek and Joel. You guys take care. You bet. Thank Thanks. you very much. Dr. Jeff Baumgartner with us, North Dakota State University's Criminal Justice Political Science Department here on Couch Potato Radio, the Sunday morning version here on KFGO.